This morning is Palm Sunday. It is a remembrance of the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem and was recognized as the King of Israel. One of the characteristics of Jesus' kingship was humility. And in addition to that humility, he also exercised wisdom. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 5, it reads, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the full of a beast of a burden. So, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, exercises his kingship in wisdom and justice. This morning, we're going to compare Solomon's kingship to the kingship of Jesus. For it was God's intent that the king of Israel would typify the true kingship of God. Last week, we saw that Solomon had prayed to God for wisdom so that he could properly govern the people. In 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 9, we have a record of Solomon's prayer in which he said, Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this your great people? God was pleased with Solomon's request for prayer, for wisdom, and therefore God granted him that request. Before us this morning is a situation in which Solomon needed to exercise that wisdom. Solomon did, in fact, display both humility and wisdom, which is necessary to govern justly. The key verse is 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 28, which reads, And all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered, and they stood in awe of the king, because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. So the theme this morning is that Solomon displayed a godly humility and wisdom in ruling over the nation of Israel. We want to begin by looking at this aspect that Solomon displayed a godly humility and wisdom in making himself and his wisdom accessible to the people in order to administer justice. For we find in our text in verse 16 the introduction to what takes place, and it says, Then two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. Two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. It's so easy to brush over that statement, but, but I'd like to labor that thought a bit this morning. Solomon was accustomed to dealing with influential people and dignities as the king of Israel. We found in chapter 3, verse 1, that Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. As we read the other portions of the uh, scriptures, we find out that, that Jesus, uh, excuse me, that Solomon met with numerous dignitaries. Uh, we mentioned the Queen of Sheba this morning in the call to worship. Not only did he meet with various dignitaries, but there were a lot of things that he had on his plate. It tells us in chapter 3, verse 1, at the end of that verse, until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. Now, these building projects were just beginning. They were in the planning stages. 
Solomon had many demands upon his time, many duties that he had to uh, fulfill. The next chapter outlines the other governing entities under Solomon's authority. And as you read that chapter, you realize that there is a great deal of oversight that is needed in exercising his role as king. We find in the other uh, surrounding chapters that not only is he exercising authority in the nation of Israel, but also in the nations round about him. So he had a lot on his plate. As one might imagine, it was very difficult to get an audience with a king. If you remember the uh, Old Testament stories, even the queen would have to seek an audience with the king. She just couldn't enter into his presence. In 2 Samuel, we have an account of how Absalom sought to undermine David's kingship by pointing out David's inaccessibility for those who were seeking justice. Remember, Absalom was in rebellion against um, David, and as he was setting up the foundation for that rebellion, what he did was try to steal away the hearts of the people over an issue in which they were distressed, uh, something that was very pertinent to their particular situation, and that was the inaccessibility of the king in order to get justice. In 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 2, it reads, And Solomon used to rise early and stand beside the way of the gate. And when any man had a dispute to come before the king for judgment, Absalom would call to him and say, From what city are you? And when he said, Your servant of such and such a tribe in Israel, Absalom would say to him, See, your claims are good and right, but there is no man designated by the king to hear you. It's unfortunate that your case isn't going anywhere. Then Absalom would say, Oh, that I were judge in the land. Then every man with a dispute or cause might come to me, and I would give him justice. If I were king, everyone could come to me, and they would all get justice. Well, that just can't happen. The king can't hear every single complaint of every single Israelite it would be impossible. It couldn't happen. What is extremely noteworthy in our passage is that these two individuals coming before Solomon, seeking justice, were prostitutes. They were prostitutes. These were not individuals of power or influence. They were people that unfortunately most people would not have cared about, yet alone, the king of Israel. Nevertheless, these prostitutes were able to get their case heard by the king. Solomon made time for them. My first question is why? Why? Why would he hear the case of these two women? In our day, it's extremely difficult for a case to be brought to the Supreme Court. There are very few cases that the Supreme Court hears each year. Out of 
the thousands and thousands of cases that are brought in the land of the United States, only a handful reach the Supreme Court. How likely do you think it would be to call the White House and try to get an appointment with the president? You think you're going to get a hearing? You think that you're going to be able to appear before him and interact with the president over what your particular gripe or complaint or issue may be? And yet, these two prostitutes were able to get a hearing before the king himself. Again, I ask the question, why? Why? Why was their case heard? Psalm 72 is a psalm that is written by Solomon. It tells us that in its title. And once again, it's a prayer. Once again, it's a prayer for wisdom. And I'd like you to listen to what Solomon prays. In Psalm 72, verse 1, it states, Give the king your justice, O God. Give the king your justice. Make me exercise your justice. That comes through time and time again in Solomon's plea before God. What is so unusual about God's justice is that it extends even to the most beleaguered of people. That God's justice is to be experienced by all, not just the rich and not just the powerful. In Psalm 72, verse 2, it reads, May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Going on in verse 4, May he defend the cause of the poor of the people. Give deliverance to the children of the needy. To which the book of Ecclesiastes speaks volumes. In the book of Isaiah, we have the kingship of the Messiah delineated that would come, namely Jesus. And what a notable king he would be in the exercise of wisdom and justice. Listen to what Isaiah 11.1 says about Jesus, the coming king. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from the roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So he will judge correctly, verse 3, and his delight shall be the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what he sees or decides disputes by what he hears. But with righteousness he shall judge. And thou notice here the object of the judgment. With righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. What is unique about Christ's kingdom is that the poor the needy, the meek, 
are ones that are going to experience God's help, God's intervention, God's justice. He will defend them. He will protect them when others will not. For it says in Isaiah chapter 11, uh, verse 4, that he shall judge the poor, he shall judge with equity for the meek of the earth, and shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. He will deliver the oppressed. So Solomon takes up the cause of these two prostitutes for which God would have him to do. The first application I would make from this passage this morning is a simple soul-searching on our behalf. And that is, who do we have time for? Who are we willing to bring before us? Who are we willing to listen to? Who are we willing to hear? Who is it that is important to us? Are we concerned with the downtrodden, the outcast, the trapped, the people that have no other source or recourse than ourselves? And then secondly, do we marvel that we can come before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in prayer. Why would he hear us? Why would he listen to us? In all that God has to do, and God in his great majesty and dominion and power, of which even angels bow before his presence, why does he hear you and me? It's not because of our position. It's not because of our influence. It's because God has purposed to help us simply because we are needy. Because we need him. That's why he sent Jesus Christ in the world to save sinners. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. We should never lose sight of how incredible it is that God would hear us. And the second is we should never doubt the reality that God will hear us. And don't think that we have to get ourselves in a certain position in order for God finally to hear our prayers, but he hears us simply because he's a God who cares for the needy. He cares for those who are suffering. Secondly, Solomon displayed a godly wisdom in truly giving these women case a hearing. Solomon gave an opportunity for the women to prepare their, uh, to present their case in verses 17 through 22. The one woman said, oh my Lord, this woman and I have lived in the same house and I gave birth to a child while she was in the house. 
Then on the third day, after I gave birth, this woman also gave birth, and we were alone. There was no one with us in the house. Only we two were in the house. And this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. And she arose at midnight and took my son from beside me while your servant slept and laid him at her breast and her dead son at my breast. Then I arose in the morning to nurse my child. Behold, he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning, behold, he was not this child that I had born. But the other woman said, no, the living child is mine and the dead child is yours. The first said, no, the dead child is yours and the living child is mine. Thus they spoke before the king. The king then demonstrates that he listened carefully and that he understood the facts of the case. And so he summarizes in verse 23. The king said, the one says, this is my son that is alive and your son is dead. And the other says, no, but your son is dead and my son is the living one. So how is the king going to decide the case? There were no witnesses, verse 18. Then on the third day after I gave birth, this woman also gave birth, and we were alone. We were alone. They, we were the only two in the house. So there's no one else to appeal to. There, there's no one else to come in and give testimony. It's one person's word against the other. This was going to require a great deal of wisdom on the part of Solomon to be able to solve this difficulty. So the wise and godly king renders his judgment. The king announces a drastic decision. That is, let the mothers share the dead child, verse 24 to 25. And the king said, bring me a sword. So a sword was brought before the king. And the king said, divide the living child in two. And give half to the one and half to the other. Now this obviously seems extremely harsh at face value. And it seems like an uncaring and an appalling decision. However, the king in his wisdom understood not only the facts of the case, but the suffering of the mothers. The king anticipated what the response of the true mother would be. We get that response in verse 26. Then the woman whose son was alive said to the king, because her heart yearned for her son, oh my Lord, give the living child and by no means put him to death. Because her heart yearned for her son. The king, as I said, anticipated how the mother would respond, which again shows his respect and his concern for these prostitutes. He realized that these were not heartless, uncaring individuals. They were mothers with children. One who had lost a child and went to desperate measures in order to try to attain another child and the others whose child was stolen and needed recourse. But what I want to focus on in this judgment that Solomon renders is his understanding of their plight. As you have read this story, and I, I think it's a very common text, I, 
I think a lot of people know this story. And as you have read it in the past, or perhaps even this morning, it's the first time you ever heard it. And you empathize with these women. Can you feel the pathos, the heartache, the misery that's associated with this case? Can you get a sense of these two mothers who are coming to a king who are experiencing the misery and heartache of the death of one child and the other mother having their child stolen from them? When I pointed out to you that there was no witness for they were alone in the house, that was true. That was true. But that statement says far more. Notice in 1 Kings 3.18 it says, then on the third day I gave birth, this woman also gave birth and we were alone. And we were alone. I, I just want to stop there and have you think about the situation that they have just described. These two women gave birth just days apart. And they were all alone in this house. There was no one to help them. There were no midwives present. There was no one who assisted in the birth. There was no one to help them through this difficult time. There was no one there to support them. They had no husbands, they were prostitutes. The fathers of these infants were nowhere to be found, and Perhaps they didn't even know who the father was. There were no fathers. There were no relatives. There were no friends. They didn't have anyone that cared about them. But lo and behold, They were given a child, a precious child, a child that they could pour their heart into, a, a child they could love, a child they could nurture, a child that they hoped would love them in return. What a blessing it would be to have this child. And then tragically, the one child dies in the middle of the night. Seems as though perhaps the mother rolled over upon him and suffocated him. Certainly unintentionally. Think of the emotional trauma of that. Waking up and realizing your child is dead. Probably as a result of your own doing. Unintentional. Do you understand the heartache and the misery of that? And how difficult it would be 
to try to accept, and, and then to think of, of what it is that drives a person to go into another room and take a woman's child and place the dead child by her and take and hold this now breathing live baby in her hand and say, this is mine, this is mine, this is my child, I'm going to raise this child. And then to think of the other woman, the woman whose child has just been stolen, wakes up and finds this dead child in her bed, Think of the emotional trauma and anguish as she looks at this child, thinks her child has died, and then looks more closely and says, no, no, this isn't my child. This is the other person's child. And she goes and confronts her and says, this is my child. She says, you can't have him. Not giving her back. I'm taking this child for my, for my own. These two distraught women come before Solomon looking for some kind of justice and resolution. Solomon, when he heard the case, didn't just understand the facts. He didn't just get the time frame right. It isn't just that he knew the steps that had taken place. Solomon understood these women's plight. He understood their grief. He understood their heartache. He understood what motivated them. He knew that this decision of splitting this baby in two was not going to be anything that the real mother is going to be willing to accept or live with. And for the sake of the love of her child is willing to make the sacrifice of saying, well, she can have them. She can have them. The other woman, in her misery and heartache and sense of loss, has become callous and simply says, divide the child and put him to death. Application. To make wise decisions, we must understand human nature. To make wise decisions, we need to understand grief and misery and hardship. To make wise decisions, we have to be people that go beyond just hearing the facts. But understand situations. Understand difficulties that people face. Understanding their thoughts, their hearts, their minds. Why would they do such a thing? How could they do such a thing? Listen not only what is being said, but understand what is being experienced. And so often it is that we don't take the time to listen to people's experience. And we take tritely the things that people say 
that to them are emotionally devastating. And it's so easy to say, well, all things work together for good to them that love God. It's so easy to pass it off. But Solomon gave these women a hearing and then he gave them a true hearing for he entered into their suffering, he entered into their loss. And so the king renders uh, his judgment. And the uh, king tells them to uh, give the child to the mother who is willing to give him up for he knows that he is the mother. The subjects of the king recognize his godly wisdom. Verse 28, And all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered, and they stood in awe of the king, because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. It was in him to do justice. First, they understood that Solomon's wisdom was a godlike wisdom. For verse 28, the second half, it says, because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him. This wisdom came from God. They most likely heard of Solomon's prayer for wisdom. It becomes recorded in Scripture at some point. They probably knew that this king, who repeatedly tells us of his prayers for wisdom, had prayed for wisdom. And so it was natural for them to think that this was from God. But they also understood the intent of God giving wisdom to Solomon. For it says in verse 28, And they stood in awe of the king because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him. And now these simple words to do justice. To do justice. Here we see the manner in which Solomon utilized his wisdom. Solomon wanted wisdom to govern well. And Solomon used his wisdom in order to make just decisions. His was not a crafty or a cunning wisdom. Solomon didn't exercise an evil genius. Solomon used his wisdom for good. And it was a wisdom that acted justly for the good of his people. He would need wisdom for a great many things. Political alliances, economic decisions, his building projects, but he understood and exercised his wisdom primarily in order to give justice to his people. That, that was the primary purpose. For these were God's people. And we need to ask ourselves constantly, why does God bless us with the gifts and the abilities that he gives us? There are so many ways in which our gifts and our talents can be exercised. So many ways in which they can be used. And last week I was imploring us to be a people who pray for wisdom. 
And as we pray for that wisdom, what do we want to do with it? Is it wisdom so we can become rich? Is it wisdom so that we can gain power? Is it wisdom so that we can be good at our job? Or is it wisdom so that we can act justly? We can do what is right. That we can understand other people, their hardships, their plights, their suffering, their misery. When people come to us, marital problems, difficulty with their children, loss of a loved one, I mean economic pressures, habitual sins that are plaguing them and they so desperately want to get get rid of. What do you say? What do you say? It inquires an incredible amount of wisdom. A wisdom to understand what they're telling you. To understand what they're trying to convey. Their brokenness. Their helplessness. They're coming to you for they have no place else to turn. They're coming to you for they have not found help elsewhere. God gives us the abilities, the graces, the insight, the understanding, all the spiritual blessings in order that we might utilize him for the furtherance of his kingdom and the welfare of his people. And it's something that we must always keep before us. It was a wisdom that acted justly for the good of the people, all the people, Justice not for the rich and the influential, but justice for all. And that's what we must constantly fight for. Justice for all. So in conclusion, I simply say to you, first of all, again, what do you think your chances would be in scheduling a one-on-one meeting with the President of the United States? Some know how difficult it is to even make an appointment with a specialist in the medical field. You might have to wait for months, perhaps even longer. But to think, the human eye can come any time of day or night into the presence of God. What a wonderful, wonderful blessing. Jesus said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Even the disciples of Jesus didn't understand how accessible he was. 
In Matthew chapter 19, verse 13, it says, Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people. Let me say that again. Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people. But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me. And do not hinder them. The disciples thought, Jesus doesn't have time for this. <laughs> Jesus has got so much more important things to do, and you're bringing your little children to Jesus and asking him to pray over them? Get with it, people. Don't you know who Jesus is? And Jesus is saying to the disciples, don't you know who I am? Don't hinder them from coming to me. That is our Jesus. Meek and lowly. Jesus cares about us. 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. He cares for you. He's touched by the feelings of our infirmities. It's a word of great concern when it says that he cares for us. It means he has an emotional attachment to us. That he loves us. That he shepherds us. That he wants us to come to him and he wants us to help him. He knows all about what we are going through. Psalm 139, verses 1 and following. You have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. You know every sleepless night in which you get up, three or four times in the night that God doesn't miss a one of them? The nights that you're laying awake on your bed and you can't sleep, God is aware of. And the psalmist tells us that God is not a God who sleeps. He knows our thoughts. Psalm 190, 139, verse 2. You know when I sit down, when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You know my thoughts even before they come upon my tongue. Jesus doesn't just know about us. He knows us. And he knows what we're going through. He knows what we're experiencing. And he asks us to come to him. He understands us and our situation completely and accurately. Listen again to the words of Isaiah. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from the roots shall bear fruit. 
and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what he sees or decides disputes by what he hears. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. God is our helper. God is our helper. Let us be thankful that we have such a humble and wise king that we serve under. And may God give us the grace to be ever more like him day by day. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he is our king. We are thankful that he has made himself accessible to us. Who has told us that we can come at any time boldly to the throne of grace in order to find help and strength in time of need. Oh Lord, assure us this morning that you will hear our prayer. You will answer us because of the king that you are. With wisdom and with equity and fairness. Not because we are rich, not because we are powerful, not because of a position that we hold, but simply because you are a God who cares about all your people. Including the meek, including the weak, including the sinful. As these two prostitutes came to Solomon. Lord, we come in our sinfulness. But yet a sinfulness has been removed because of what Jesus Christ has done. And so we stand before you pure and holy, but solely on the basis of Jesus. And we don't expect you to hear us because of who we are. Lord, we expect you to hear us because that you are a God of mercy and compassion. And you bear with our weakness. And you want to help us. And, O oh Lord, in the help that we find, may we extend to others. May we be accessible. May we be approachable. May we be understanding. And may we enter into people's griefs and sorrows. May it touch our hearts. And may we seek to be a help. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.